0: Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know college and NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Well, GameTime's a new app that takes advantage of those last-minute deals and brings them to you from thousands of trusted sellers. View your seats from the app and buy in two taps. It's that simple. And GameTime has all the NHL, NBA, and concert tickets you want at the best prices. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. ¶¶ Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke. He's Dane Bruegler. We got Kent Garrison as our producer and uh, just jump right in. We got a lot to get to today. Dane's latest draft board going up at theathletic.com. Good point here to remind you that if you don't have a subscription yet, you can hop on theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, get 40% off, check out the draft board, check out everything else Dane's written and uh, everything across the site, all our podcasts as well. Um, and we'll get into that draft board momentarily. Had some games uh, that stood out this weekend, too. Uh, how much fun was that Memphis SMU game, man?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and from start of the day to the end, you know, the college game day in Memphis, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. And uh, they they did disappoint. You know, they you always wonder when you go to some of these uh, you know, programs that aren't used to hosting that type of crowd on a consistent basis. And hey, Memphis stepped up to the plate and did a nice job, uh, both their fan base and the team. So it, it was a fun game. And, you know, SMU, uh, you know, that was their first loss of the year, but, you know, they didn't look like they didn't belong on that type of stage. I mean, they, they played well and, um, you know, they were dealing with some injuries, uh, weren't at full health, but, uh, you know we we've talked about James Proche and you know he he stepped up like we assumed he would, uh, but that that was definitely a fun game in what was considered to be a weekend uh, you know the, the the calm before the storm. Uh, but we had some had some decent games on Saturday with a lot of prospects that I thought did well.
0: Yeah, proche had with uh, 13 catches for 149 Proch- yards, and then on the other side, uh, Demonte Coxie, who's a guy we. – talked about a tiny bit and Antonio Gibson combined for I forget what it was like 500 total yards it was something ridiculous (laughs) um just uh you know if you love defense that probably wasn't the game for you but uh a fun way to kind of close out the national uh slate there on on Saturday night like you said game day there and sort of the whole day at Memphis so uh entertaining for sure but uh the big one um Again, we want to get into the draft board, so we'll cover some of these guys probably as we go, uh, including with that Florida-Georgia game. Um, uh, because of the, the big matchup we talked about was kind of the Florida pass rush against the Georgia offensive line. And Jake Fromm played really well. He was pretty surgical out of the pocket, uh, great on third downs. But as that broadcast kept pointing out, he had a clean pocket to work with a lot on Saturday, especially on third downs, you know, three, four seconds to scan the field and find guys. And uh, so you got to I think you got to chalk that one up as a win for those big boys up front for Georgia.
1: Yeah, the offensive line for Georgia was really, we have to start with this game. Uh, And mostly in pass pro. Uh, Jake Fromm had plenty of time to throw the football. Uh, In the run game, I don't think the offensive line was as effective. DeAndre Swift had to create a lot of the yardage that he did have. Uh, only finished with 85, 86 yards rushing, uh, under four yards a carry. But he was still impressive because of what Swift was able to do uh, when it looked like nothing was there. Uh, That elusiveness, his ability to force those missed tackles is why I I think he's running back number one in this draft, why he has a chance to be a first-round pick, a top-25 pick. Um, The the Georgia offense, the identity, there's not a ton of creativity to it. But it's still, you have to beat that offensive line. And Florida was not able to do it uh, from hook it up with Cager multiple times. That was a big part of uh, what Georgia's looking to do. So uh, a good win for for Georgia in that program.
0: I, I'm pretty all in on uh, on Swift at the moment. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. uh, it, we as we've said, he's, like you just said, he's number one probably in this class or uh, right up there in the discussion at least. And maybe a first-round guy, but... Uh, I think like just the creativity with the ball in his hands. He had a nice, uh, reception. I, I think the big thing for me, talk about the pass pro up front. He had a few times where he stu- stepped up and, and picked up a blitzer or helped out, you know, chipping a guy. Like I think that maybe coming into the year was one of the questions is if he could be that pass protection guy for you if you wanted to leave him out there in third downs. And, uh, I think he's definitely shown he's physical enough. And I think there's been some progress just in in terms of kind of understanding what he's supposed to be doing out there and finding those guys. I mean, it's, that's always one of the toughest challenges for rookie running backs stepping in at the next level early on is can they be out there when you're asking them to protect your quarterback and find those blitzers and because it's tough the way NFL defenses will throw things at you. You don't want to leave a guy out there who's going to get your quarterback clobbered. Uh, And I think Swift continues to improve there, and I, I was really impressed with some of the work he did Saturday in that regard. No
1: question, and, and he doesn't get a lot of uh, experience with it because a lot of times they put in Brian in the senior, uh, running back in there on third downs, uh, who had an outstanding catch uh, on Saturday against Florida. He is maybe the third best back, maybe the fourth best back on that roster, uh, which just shows you how stacked – Uh, Georgia always seems to be a running back, Uh, but Herring has a chance to get drafted. Um, He's been a really quality player for them. Uh, But when Swift does get the chance to pass protect, you're right. I mean, he he has uh, shown that he can handle those responsibilities and it's not just uh, being able to, uh, you know, stand up tall, use your hands, slow down the rusher. It's the ability, ability to diagnose the blitz, understand where that angle is coming from, and being in position to take that away. Uh, that's something that the quarterback needs to pay attention to, the running back needs to pay attention to, and Swift has shown he's able to do it. He's, he's been effective as an every down back his entire career, uh, he has over 60 career catches. Um, his, he just has a natural feel for playing the position in, in all phases. And uh, you see it with his vision, you see it with his instincts. And then of course, he also has the athletic ability where he's just going to have that, uh, he's going to make guys miss. Uh, and, and it might not, and it might be in a phone booth. It might not look like he has any room to get so, anything more, but he's going to find it uh, and he's going to have that chance. And that's why he is the top back in this draft. I think there's we talk about the running backs in this class. There's a, a top tier, and I think you have Swift, you have Jonathan Taylor, you have Travis Etienne. Uh, that th- those are the top three backs in that top tier. I think all three have a shot to go in the first round, but Swift had, to me is the clear favorite to be the first one off the board.
0: And I mentioned the big board. You've got Andrew Thomas sitting at at four on this latest update. You've got uh, DeAndre Swift at uh, where do you got him here? Twenty, and then. Um, from at 34 and i guess that's going to be one of the mysteries moving forward here is is he is from going to be a first round quarterback i mean i think it's looking more and more likely that swift gets in to that mix uh it's be hard to drop him out of the first round i think someone would get a really good value if he makes it to day 2 but from it, you've got him kind of right on that cut line and obviously quarterbacks get valued differently than then guys at other positions, just because of how much teams are desperate for those franchise guys, but could you see a team liking him as a franchise guy, or is he going to be one of those, you know, like, uh who was it, the Drew Lock this year, you know, second round guy that you're sort of planning to sit for a year or two and develop behind a vet, and then maybe down the road,
1: he's your starter. With Fromm, when you look at him, you, you, you pr- try to project him in the NFL, you see a... A Kirk Cousins type of guy. You see a, you know what we thought Drew Brees was when he was coming out of Purdue. Um, yeah, and, and that's not it's not a bad thing. It's just he's not a slam dunk first rounder. But you see enough where you say, okay, he's got a chance to be an NFL starter. Um, and we've talked about it before. He's just not going to be for everybody because of his skill set. He's just a little different than what some teams are looking for. But when you talk about what he has, what he offers uh, between the years. Uh, his accuracy, uh, his ability to, you know, always, he always seems to be in control. Like, he, he he's not, he's rarely surprised because he understands, he, he reads the defense pre snap. He understands what they're trying to do. Uh, he rarely puts, uh, the offense, uh, in a precarious situation. Um, it, the South Carolina game a few weeks ago was one of those few examples where he made a few key bad decisions that, uh, ended up costing the game but for the most part that's not what Fromm does. I mean that's that's what he's done since his freshman year you know, leading Georgia to the national title game. So uh, that for I think once coaches get involved they're really going to you know, pound the table for a guy like Jake Fromm. The scouts are uh, some scouts are going to say, well, he doesn't have the measurables. He doesn't have uh, this or that. The coaches are going to say, yeah, but when we put him on the whiteboard, he knew this, this, and this. He could ID coverages. Uh, you know, he knows where the blitz is coming from. Uh, he, he finds his hot route. He pl- throws with placement. I mean, he does a lot of these things that you need to be successful in the NFL. So uh, he's going to be a fascinating, fascinating prospect to watch. Um, I, there's a chance he might not even come out. I mean, he might go back to school for, uh, his senior year. Uh, he seems like a guy that, you know, might do that. It's, and I don't think it's because he's not NFL ready. I think he might be the most NFL ready of all these quarterbacks. Uh, he, it's not like he's going to go back to school and get bigger, get, you know, his arm's going to get stronger anything like that. Uh, I think his mind, uh, and his accuracy are ready for the next level. It's just a matter of if he wants to take that jump now or wait another year.
0: Speaking of decisions that maybe cost your team a game, I guess that swings us into Utah, Washington, and uh, Jacob Eason, you've got in the top 20, uh, still number 19, um, obviously he's a few spots ahead of of Jake Fromm, and uh, he made a couple big mistakes in the second half of that game Saturday. Washington was in pretty good shape, uh, up 21-13, looked like they were headed towards an upset, and then... Um, yeah, uh, the pick six kind of flipped that game and and Utah wound up winning 33-28, come from behind to, to hang in the top 10 and, and keep their season on track. But um, Eason is, uh, I mean, I think all these quarterbacks are, as we've talked about time and again, are kind of tough evaluations and it's going to be very team by team on all these guys. And Eason's another one for me that, uh, you know, you see, especially early on in that game as they were building that lead, he had some throws that... We're NFL caliber throws, certainly, and into coverage. I think that's something we see him do with that arm strength, Just drive the ball, give his receivers a chance in those tight windows. Um, doesn't mind if there's some defender traffic in between. and You know, he just trusts that arm strength, and sometimes it backfires on him. And we we've seen, haven't seen it a lot this year, but it, uh, certainly a couple big mistakes uh, on Saturday. So uh, what's your review of how he played?
1: No, I mean, I think you you covered it pretty well. I mean, he he's a guy who will believe his arm can make every throw. It uh, doesn't matter how small the window. It doesn't, you know, and that's where he needs to be a better, do a better job of anticipating. Um, you know, it's too many times he waits to see it and then unleash uh, the throw, uh, and that can lead to mistakes. And we, we saw that against Utah's defense. Uh, Jalen Johnson, who uh, I believe is number 37 on, on the draft board, uh, he... He had a pick six, uh, a big swing in that game. Um, and there are just a lot of plays where you just question the instincts of, uh, of Jacob Eason. Uh, too often, he's just forcing the football, uh, relying on that big arm to make plays. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, he is a bigger, slower Matthew Stafford, um, which is a bigger, slower Matthew Stafford can still start in the NFL. Um, you know, a bigger, slower Matthew Stafford might be Jake Cutler. You know, like I mean, there's been plenty <laughs> right. of guys that uh, look like that, that have that type of skill set that have made plays and carved out a career uh, at the pro uh, level. So with Jacob Easton, it's just, I know we've seen him, what, nine games now this year, but the sample size is still fairly small compared to what you want to see from uh, a quarterback when you evaluate him compared to these other quarterbacks. But I mean, Justin Herbert, basically a four-year starter. Uh, we've been able to see uh, you know him the last four years get better in some areas maybe you know you, you want to see him and uh, still improve in some others but with Eason, it's still you know we don't have that year to year uh development um and so we're stuck if he comes out this year we're stuck guessing about okay is he going to make this leap uh, in terms of uh his instincts downfield his ability to uh, id coverages and things like that so plenty of question marks uh, with Jacob Easton who that will make him a tough evaluation if he does decide to declare. My guess is he will declare just because I think there's enough talk about him being a, a potential first rounder. Uh, and, you know, I, I could see him, you know, being a redshirt junior, being an older guy uh, looking to uh, come out uh, while, you know, the you know strike while the iron's hot, that type of thing. But yeah, there's, there's still a lot up in the air. And like you said, it will vary from team to team.
0: There's always inevitably going to be those highs and lows with quarterbacks that play like this that have that you right. know that quote unquote gunslinger mentality and like Stafford is playing out of his mind right now but this is it it's his eleventh year in the NFL and like it, this is how long it took to finally fit him into an offense that really took advantage of of everything he can do like he's had those he's had those ups and downs throughout his career I think you, Cutler certainly is a guy you go back to and made some incredible throws and won a lot of games and then would just have Sundays where he'd fall apart entirely because he'd be trying to fit some of those throws in and, you know, a couple of them get picked off early and then that everything would crumble. So uh, Made a lot of money too. Yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, it it helps to have a stronger arm than 99% of the people in the NFL. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it is, again, not to just sort of, Reiterate the same talking points, but this is going to be a really tough class, I think, for for teams to sort of sort through because I think you do have, you know, some of these classic style guys, and then we've talked about, it. you know, two is a different type of guy, Justin Herbert to some extent, is a different type of guy, and uh, so it's going to be and From and Eason, I mean, it's we were just saying right. that like it's it's skill sets. What skill set are you looking for? What are you looking for between the helmet? Like what? Do you want that that guy who's just going to turn it loose in all moments or or do you need to see some of that progression? So um and speaking of Herbert, uh, as you wrote uh, on the big board, I mean you've got him in the top 20 as well still and is sort of the opposite of the day for Washington Oregon down 10 nothing early, offense didn't look like it was going to do much all day and then all of a sudden they hang 56 on the board at USC against a team that's been playing pretty well uh and Herbert was lights out over the last three quarters.
1: Yeah, he started a little slow, uh, three for seven, 27 yards, had an interception. Then the final three quarters, 18 for 19, 198 yards, four touchdowns, uh, three were passing, one was rushing. He, he really turned it on, I had a great uh, final three quarters uh, and good on him. I mean, this maybe this was that game that scouts will point to and say, you know, he faced some adversity early. He bounced back, and he was nearly perfect the rest of the game, uh, leading Oregon to the win. Now USC is not what they usually are on defense. Um, you know, they they're beat up. Uh, they've dealt with some injuries, and they just they do not have the level of talent uh, on that side of the ball that we usually see from from USC. But still, with that being said was on the road for Herbert and for him to make some of those adjustments, make some of those throws. uh, I thought it was one of his better games uh, that we've seen him play really impressive. Um, I mean, he's still, I don't think I haven't, the toughest part about doing these rankings and stuff in season is not reacting game to game because again, it's, it's all about body of work. It's all about, um, you know, you don't want to just live in the moment because in another week you're, opinion might change and you know you're back to uh you know the norm and kind of the the mean and it's something that you have to weigh between justin herbert having a game like this and really being impressive, but still it's one game and not overreacting to it so um i thought it was a step in the right direction and it's a chance for him to put together a string of some really good games and look he's had a really good season altogether. Uh, but in terms of uh, making clutch throws, uh, doing a nice job down the field on money downs. Uh, I think that's really where Justin Herbert shined in this game and uh, it resulted in a victory uh, for Oregon. So um, I think he's uh, in the defense for Oregon, I thought sh- showed up in a big, big way as well. Uh, had a lot of turnovers, uh, forced a lot of turnovers Turnovers from USC, uh, who does not have a run game. So they're forced to put the ball in the air quite a bit. Oregon took advantage of that. Um, and so you know it was just a mismatch uh, from the second quarter on. Uh, but yeah, Herbert—he's uh, still quarterback four for me right now at this point. He's in that top twenty mix, um, and it's just—it's you know we talk about the quarterbacks every week, I think. And it, it's just it you know we got a big game coming up obviously this Saturday between Tua and Joe Burrow uh, that has a lot riding on it. And then you know with with Herbert and Jordan Love and Jacob Eason in, in that next tier. How they finish, uh, Senior Bowl Combine. uh, We still have a lot to figure out with these guys.
0: And just going back to your big board, you know, Utah's sitting at number eight right now. Their highest ranked guy on your big board is Jalen Johnson at thirty-seven. Oregon's number seven. I mean, these are teams that are very much in the playoff mix. We've talked about Herbert a ton. We've talked about uh, Troy Dye a little bit, but uh you only have two Oregon players in the top 100 and the second one's way down the list towards the bottom of that 100 so are there other guys on that team besides Herbert that we should be paying attention to
1: it's a young team um in in a lot of positions the offensive line is you know one of the more veteran uh areas of the roster and that's i think you know the the left tackles uh Sewell he's a, a true sophomore so we'll be talking about him a lot next year but the rest of the guys are veteran seniors who uh, are not legit top 100 guys necessarily. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, uh, Lemieux, the left guard, can sneak in there. But for the most part, they are mid round to day three type of guys. Um, Uh, So, you know, while they're really good, it's a really good college unit. uh, I don't think they necessarily, they, aside from the left tackle, project overly well uh, to uh, the NFL level, at least in this draft. Um, On defense, uh, you mentioned that there were two Oregon players, the other one uh, being Lenore, uh, the corner, who's one of the better tackling corners in this draft. uh, If he does declare, he's only a junior. Uh, Not the tallest guy uh he's only about 5'10 5'10 and a half but he's thick i mean he's over 200 pounds uh he has terrific speed uh he had an up and down game against usc uh there were a few times where he got his feet tangled up and uh was able or you know lost phase but there are other times where he did an outstanding job using the sideline to his advantage uh looking and leaning uh, he had an interception, and a terrific one-handed grab. So he, he's a guy that can get in that top 100 mix. Uh, he came in, I think, number 88, something like that. Uh, yeah, 88 uh, on the draft board. Um, so you know, he, he's a good defensive player. They're they have a uh, sophomore safety who we're going to be talking about a lot next year as well. So they're young in a lot of key areas uh, where some of their best players are. But uh, you mentioned Utah. Utah's uh, they're. Their first guy on, on the draft board isn't until Jalen Johnson at thirty seven, but uh, you know going through this list, there are uh, the Utes are very well represented. Zach Moss, who uh, I um, I'm, call me the president of the Zach Moss Fan Club, uh, <laughs> love what he does. If it wasn't for the medicals, he'd be in my top twenty five. I mean, he is that good of a running back. I don't use the word elite very often. He has elite. Balance, uh, That contact balance, when he takes on uh, contact, he just has that uncanny ability to keep his feet, keep on trucking, uh, just really, really impressive. Uh, but he also has that lateral quickness where he doesn't have to attack contact. He can make guys miss as well. Uh, Zach Moss is high up there. He is, uh, I think he's my number four running back behind those top three in that top tier Um, And then after Zach Moss, uh, lucky Fotu, the big defensive tackle, um, you know, he's going to be on that top 50 uh, edge uh, trying to, uh, you know, get into that early second round mix. Um, uh, Bradley and I, he's well represented or he's represented on this list. Um, And then one more Utah player, uh, Terrell Burgess, who's one of the better or more well-kept secrets in this draft. Uh, Strong safety. Uh, six foot, 195 pounds, first year starter, just a very, very smart player. He, he's a right place, right time type of guy. That's not by accident. He's a very intelligent player, instinctive. He prepares. Uh, the coaching staff just raves about him. And so do scouts. I mean, scouts call him the best kept secret on the West Coast. And so uh, he, uh, I expanded this draft board at the top 100 and Terrell Burgess uh, does make it. I think he's somewhere in that, Third, fourth round mix. I, I I do think we'll see him at the Senior Bowl, and he'll have a chance to uh, really make a name for himself there.
0: And Oregon, just to go back to them real quick. I mean, they do have. They always have playmakers. That's the one thing you know that they're going to have some guys that can get the ball in their hands and and go do something with it. Jawan Johnson wasn't healthy earlier in the year. He had three touchdowns Saturday. Uh, Jalen Red, I think, is a junior, but it, you know, just a burner slot type guy like five eight uh, and we mm-hmm. mentioned jacob Breland before who got hurt like that was maybe their other guy that was going to be i don't know if he was going to be top 100 for you but he was certainly talented enough to be in the draft discussion for next year and we got to see what that how long that injury recovery uh takes him but there's always it feels like there's always weapons uh on the offensive side of the ball for oregon too so it's it's not just Justin Herbert, I guess, doing it with a bunch of no names there. There's players making plays with the ball in their hands too.
1: Yeah, CJ Verdell, uh, the yeah. running back, he he really impressive. I I need to do more work on him. I, I considered him for this top 100. He he uh I, he didn't make it, but um he was a guy I considered because whenever you watch Oregon's offense, uh, he is a guy that routinely is making plays. Just a tough tough runner, um, a little undersized, but uh much tougher than he looks. He has quickness, uh, he'll pinball between defenders. Uh so yeah, I, I think you're you're right. Jacob Breland, he'll, he'll be he'll be tough. I don't I, I think he was working himself because he, he had a lot of undrafted grades coming into the year uh from scouts. And uh, I think he worked himself into that mid-round discussion. I don't know if he was you know, top 100 per se, but I think he at least worked himself in the top 100 or into the mid-round mix. And so um, seeing him come back from injury will be uh, important. And hopefully he's, you know, we we're able to see him at some point during the draft process. He's hopefully he gets to be 100% healthy. And uh, if he does, good chance we hear his name called on draft night.
0: You mentioned you kind of expanded out the draft board. I haven't had a chance yet to go back and compare all your draft boards uh, (laughs) to each Mm -hmm. other yet. But is there anyone else on here that, um, maybe made a big jump or a big fall or that you think uh, is kind of a sleeper here that snuck into the top 100?
1: Well, I've done – this is my third draft board, so I did one in August before the season started, um, and then I did one after a month, uh, so you know, sept- uh, late September, early October. And this one is the third one, so uh, late October, early November, two months in. Um, I, I think that the biggest riser, two tackles, uh, offensive tackles, Jedrick Wills, the right tackle for Alabama – uh, he is number 10 overall on the board. Uh, I think he's been the biggest uh, riser. Just seeing him, I mean, we, we knew he was a mauler at right tackle, uh, a big a big time performer in the run game. But we've also seen him uh, show off his athleticism this year in pass pro uh, with wide base, moves fairly well. Um, I mean, he is putting himself in that conversation to be mentioned with Werfs, with Andrew Thomas, uh, with these top tackles in that top tier. Uh, he is on his way there. And then the USC left tackle, Austin Jackson. Uh, doesn't always look pretty with him, uh, but his issues are fixable. Uh, he has the body type, he has... Uh, the feet, uh, the movement skills, uh, the redirection skills. He has what you want at the left tackle position. It's just he needs to improve some of the technical aspects, some of the, uh, some of the discipline, uh, some things that, you know, to, you know He can get away with it in the Pac-12, but it's not always going to be the case in the NFL. So a few things that he needs to tweak, but again, coachable things uh, that I think he'll be able to get fixed uh, at, at the next level. Um, so those two tackles uh, have made a big jump. They're both in the first-round mix. Um, some guys that maybe have uh, fallen maybe a little bit. Uh, Julian Aquara uh, from Notre Dame, he's tough because you see the athleticism. Uh, 6'5", 245, he's going to test off the charts at the Combine, and people are going to be raving about him. But outside of the Virginia tape where he had, I think, three sacks in that game, the, every other game has been just kind of okay. Um, he, just, he hasn't – he's been – I think below average in the run game, um, he's not a consistent edge setter, then, okay, if you're not going to be a big-time performer in the run game, you better show up uh, rushing the passer. And that's where Okwara, it's been uh, just you see flashes here and there. Uh, you know, you see the athleticism, but you need to convert that to more production. And so Okwara, who I thought would, had a chance to work himself into the top 20, uh, he's right now on that first round cusp for me. Uh, now, again, he's going to blow up the combine. That's going to happen uh, as long as he's healthy and he works out. But again, it's funny when I do these draft boards, uh, especially this one, um, I, I I share it with a few of my NFL contacts, kind of like a way to cross check, like, hey, am I missing anybody or any any opinion about this? Or And we discuss a few players and, um, you know, it's kind of a way to, uh you know just check myself and because cuz I'm not a scouting department I don't have 20 guys working for me on the road you know this is just a way to uh you know for a check my work type of thing and when I was talking to one of the guys uh he mentioned that this is the purest time to do evaluations uh, in the entire calendar year this is the purest time cuz it's based off of what we see on the on on film on the field uh it's not you know we're not yet to the the noise of the offseason, of the draft process when we're debating tenths of a second in the 40 yard dash and how that should affect players right now is the purest time to evaluate these guys and that's why you know I've got Julian Aquara dropping a little bit uh, but b- before he blows up at the combine here in a few months um, a few other guys that I think have dropped uh, Raquan Davis the Alabama defensive uh, lineman who um, just I mean he looks apart he's 3'15", He's just not a playmaker. Um, And so he's an NFL player. There's no doubt. Um, But I'm not sure if I'm using a top 50 pick on a guy who can be uh, a solid run defender if you run at him. Uh, But he's not going to make consistently not going to make plays outside of his square. Um, He doesn't have uh, a natural feel to be a pass rusher. So a lot of questions about uh, him. Um, Tyler Biadish, uh, the Wisconsin center who was being talked about as a first round pick coming into the year. Um, uh, he's fallen considerably from the start of the year. Uh, a guy who just, I question if he has the athletic skill necessary to be a big time center at the next level. Um, I think he, he might have enough to get by as a starter, but, uh, I, I that's why I think he's dropped from a possible first rounder to. I don't know, maybe into the third round. Um, I, opinions are really kind of split on Be a Dish. So uh, those are just a few of the names. Uh, like I said, expanded at the to top 100. There's a lot of different names on here. Um, introduced a lot of names that I don't see out there a lot. Um, uh, there's uh, a lot of smaller school guys. Uh, I made sure to got my, my Dayton Tight End. Uh, made it uh, <laughs> right. at, at number one hundred. Uh, had to get him in in there, and I, and that's not just me getting him in there. He he is worthy of top one hundred uh, consideration. Uh, right there at that uh, number one hundred spot. A lot of wide receivers. Um, it's tough. Uh, on on average, there's about twelve receivers drafted in the top one hundred picks. And I think I've got 17 on this top 100 list. So that's probably more than are going to go, but it was just hard to keep off some of these players. Michael Pittman from USC, the season that he has had, hard to keep him off this list. Uh, you know, a guy like uh, Gabriel Davis at US, uh, UCF, I don't think he's going to run overly well, but uh, just another guy hard to keep off this list. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's really difficult doing these type of lists at this point in the season, but um, uh, it is an interesting uh, process and interesting exercise as you try to flush these guys out.
0: This always happened to me when I used to do these for Sports Illustrated. They'd ask for forty, and I'd turn in like seventy-five because it's like oh, <laughs> right. I gotta, I gotta mention this guy, and he's not top forty, but he's been awesome right. so exactly. far. And like Always did. Uh, a-
1: when you were sk- uh, skimming through it, did any name stand out to you as oh wow that guy is high, or oh this guy is fairly low, or any uh, any surprises uh, for you as you skimmed through it?
0: Well, Wills definitely was one of them because uh, I just I don't remember where you had him before, but that he wasn't number ten. Um, no, <laughs> stood out no, he was like he,
1: he was in the 40s, I believe. So yeah, yeah. he was lower.
0: Um, so yeah, that certainly uh, jumped out. I mean, like I said, I sort of paid attention to the quarterbacks. Um, Brandon Ayuk, you had at 36. We've talked about him sure. a bunch. Um, he's been awesome this year. Uh, Hunter Bryant just had a. Um, uh, a big game on Saturday. We were talking about that Washington game a little bit. Uh, I was going to ask, um, guy that did have a big game Saturday. I know you've mentioned before, and I didn't. I don't see him. I don't think he's on here. Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Um, yeah, had eight catches, one hundred and eighteen, hundred twenty yards uh, in that close Notre Dame win over Virginia Tech on Saturday. Um, I guess just in general, with specifically with him, is he close to top one hundred? And then in in general, you mentioned how hard it is to. Even at a 100 probably to cut this off, so like, is this a year where you know there's going to be some pretty good value on that third day?
1: Yeah, with these underclassmen that come out, um, you know obviously we don't some of these guys might surprise us. Um, you know Jake Fromm and some others might might surprise us and go back to school. so that'll certainly be a factor in how strong uh, this draft is going into day three. But yeah, there were a couple of guys, um, you know, Troy died, the linebacker from Oregon. Uh, didn't make this top 100. And, you know, part of that's character related, um, just from what I've heard. Um, But, you know, he's he's a talented guy who just missed this. Um, Alton Robinson, the Syracuse edge rusher, just missed this. Matt Pert from uh, UConn, the right tackle, who I like a lot, uh, just missed this. Eichenberg, the left tackle from Notre Dame, um, didn't make the cut. Um, Chase Claypool, I, I like. I think he's more of a fourth or fifth round guy. Um, the fact that what he does on special teams is certainly going to help him, um, but I don't know how well he's going to run. Um, and That's, that's going to be a problem with a lot of these bigger receivers. A guy like Michael Pittman, if he runs say, a four, five, seven, which is certainly realistic. I think, you know, some of these bigger guys, uh, they don't always run what you expect and the, is he still going to be able to get into that top 100? It's it's a question mark. Colin Johnson, who's been hampered with hamstring injuries, you know, he's 6'6", uh, 220 pounds, uh, you know, really good high point in the football. Um, you know, he's hasn't been had the senior season that you know a lot of us thought he could have, uh, and a lot of that's injury related. But if he goes out and runs in the the high four or five or the low four fives, uh, you know, how is that going to affect him? So. Claypool's in that mix where, uh, you know, if a team really values his special teams contributions, I could see him getting in the top 100. But uh, some of these wide receivers are just going to get squeezed out because there's just so many of them. Um, You know, uh, Brian Edwards uh, from South Carolina, he's my top, or he's my number, my top senior receivers are Ayuk, John Hightower, then Brian Edwards. I have all three of those guys in the top 80. uh, And then from there, uh, it gets a little muddy. Uh, you know, Nico Collins, another one of those bigger receivers with speed questions. Um, you know, he he could go top 100 or get squeezed out because of the speed. Uh, so I, I think that's really the big the question when we talk about those bigger receivers and why some of them are not going to end up going top 100 like a lot of people think.
0: Yeah, and again, like you said, just it, we'll see how many of these guys actually get to the draft. I mean, if Nico Collins, for example, is a if you're thinking he's in the 90s or the hundreds. Maybe he goes back. Maybe he plays that last year. The, the mm-hmm. only other name I mentioned, uh, just as we're talking about speed, uh, I think it, I, it doesn't strike me as him being way out of place in terms of his ranking, but I certainly could see him climbing higher than this in the draft is KJ Hamler because he goes to the mm-hmm. opposite end of that spectrum. If he runs in the, I mean, you've got him listed with four, 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 four speed. If he gets somehow gets into the four, you know, four, three, nine range, something like that, like he's a guy just because of how good he is um how how good he is at getting open and recognizing sort of spaces on the field and then obviously doing things well uh, with the ball in his hands with that speed we've seen teams take those guys in the first round before or at high in the second round and so that's certainly someone to me that stands out as maybe a top 40 pick when all is said and done that probably won't necessarily rank that high just because you know he's a five nine, you know 175 probably slot only guy but uh there's a lot of teams that could use a playmaker like that for sure.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And you know, I, I think that there he has a better chance of going second round than first round, just because a lot of teams are not going to be on board with a five nine 175 five right. pound target, um, especially in this wide receiver class. Now, you know, people bring up Hollywood Brown from last year. Well, yes, the Ravens took him first round, but if the Ravens don't take him first round you know he might not go first round uh you know we don't know how every other single team after the ravens picked at what 25 or whatever it was we don't know how each one of them thought about brown whether or not they were seriously considering him um so you know maybe if the ravens don't take him maybe hollywood goes second round And you also have to factor in that last year's wide receiver group was a lot weaker than uh, this wide receiver group. Um, And so the depth at the top of this wide receiver class certainly factors into that as well. Uh, But no, yeah, Hamler's, he's a big play waiting to happen anytime he touches the football. Um, And so that's why he's, uh, you know, I think at worst uh, in that second round mix uh, as he tries to fight to get into that top 40, maybe even top 30. Uh, Certainly possible. All it takes is one team.
0: And that, uh, while we're on the subject of receivers, just spend a minute here in the NFL world before we wrap up uh, shop for the week. And again, if you're uh, not a subscriber to theathletic.com, make sure you get on. Uh, you can go to theathletic.com/slash/prospects-to-pros for some money off your subscription. Check out the big board uh, from Dane. Check out everything on the athletic.com site, as well as you can get our Thursday episode where we'll preview uh, the weekend ahead. That that one's for subscribers only uh, on the Athletic app. So make sure you get in. If you want to listen to that, Uh, but did want to spend just a second here in the NFL world as we're talking about receivers, Um, uh, some big weeks from NFL rookies. Uh, Devin Singletary had a good game. Noah Fant broke out a little bit. Uh, I saw Josh Jacobs uh, and Hunter Renfro in person. Jacobs is, I mean, he's incredible. I think we talked about him as maybe being the rookie of the year. Uh, And that momentum certainly didn't slow on Sunday, but uh, DK Metcalf, 6 catches, 123 yards and a touchdown. Uh he had two touchdowns in his last game against the Falcons and I I know you were in uh what I thought was a pretty interesting discussion on Twitter just about how uh, I don't know if it's I don't want to call it hot takey, but you know people just tend to react to these week to week showings as um, sort of confirmation bias for what they thought about guys in advance right. and DK Metcalf has been kind of right at the heart of that for this rookie class it, it happens with the quarterbacks too certainly but Metcalf you know he's had he has a bad game and then everyone who was a critic of his before the draft says, oh look he can't you know he's doesn't run enough routes he's he's a you know the one trick pony whatever and then he has these big games and everyone says, oh he got drafted too low and he should have been wide receiver one and look this is proof and uh, you were you were in that conversation that was sort of, um, I don't just sort of telling people maybe to dial it back and <laughs> look as we as you were just saying, look at the whole body of work and um, not, not try to use these individual performances as sort of uh, justification for you know how you had these guys rank coming out. But is there any? Like, do you try to do that? I mean, do you ever get caught doing that? I guess where you see a big game and say, "Oh, look, I had that guy pegged right."
1: Oh, I think we all are. I mean, I think we're all guilty of anyone who's spent a minute evaluating college players and projecting them. When you uh, you know get it right and you say that's exactly what I thought, I mean, it's it's you know we're all guilty of taking that victory lap. Uh, but with DK Metcalf, it seems to be more profound. Like it's, and it's because the opinions were so split entering the draft is either you love him or you hate him? I mean, there's, but there's plenty of in between. I know a lot of people were in between. Um, but it just seemed like the loudest people talking about him were the people that loved him or the people that hated him. And it had to do with, uh, the fact that he is just, he's a straight line athlete and there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's, uh, that's the thing is he, he's not Julio Jones and that's okay. But when you have a guy that's six, three and a half, 230 pounds, has the power that he has, the length that he has, and then the speed, a legit low four, three, uh, type of athlete. I mean, that's why he was wide receiver one for me, uh, is because when you have those measurables, you can be an enforcer type of receiver, uh, with that type of catch radius, uh, with that type of size, that type of power, that type of speed, but with that said, you know, he still doesn't have a lot of branches on his route tree. That's just, that's fact. And uh, that's why it, you know, it was okay to, lo- you know, think DK Metcalf was a very good prospect, but still have questions about him. And, you know, that's. Uh, the the echo chamber that is twitter and social media when we debate these prospects um you know you better have a there's no fence sitting there's no context you know there's no uh you know gray area it's either black or white you hate them you love them and that's where things get a little muddied uh when you talk about these players with uh limited characters and people with short attention spans looking to uh you know jump on every little thing you say but you know it's DK Metcalf. He's he's having a good rookie year, and you know credit to him. I thought he landed in almost an ideal spot. When you talk about uh, the quarterback that he's playing with with Russell Wilson, the offense uh, that looks to uh, you know get the run game going and lean on that, and then take a few shots. Um, and you know, Metcalf has had the opportunity to make plays and he's made the plays when they've been there, uh, using exactly what we saw in college, his size, his speed, and his length, his catch radius, uh, his play strength. Uh, now do I think he can continue to grow and get better? Yeah. I I think we've seen him grow in some areas, but that doesn't mean he's going to be Julio Jones one day. And so, you know, there's so much context when we talk about these players, Um, he was wide receiver one for me. Um, but then again, I didn't think he was worth a top 20 pick. And I, I still, I I mean, I, I think where I evaluated him is exactly where, uh, what we've seen so far. He was like number 27 overall on my draft board. I think that's exactly where, you know, he should have gone and not 64th or wherever he ended up going. Um, and I still, still hold true to that. I don't think he's all of a sudden hindsight. It should have been a top 10 pick. I don't think he's going to live up to that, um, you know, and we look back five years from now, but I do think he can be a solid, productive wideout uh, in the NFL, and I, we've already seen that up to this point. So, yeah, and it, like, we're going to go through this every year with different prospects. Uh, we saw that a little bit with Josh Jacobs. Uh, when he ran, like, what, a 4-6 at the Alabama Pro Day? There were people... Uh, saying, oh, well, you know, we've never seen a running back go that high, running in the four sixes and this and that. And it's just – especially with his uh, – we talk about market share and give me a break. Just watch him play. <laughs> and, I mean, he's already, I, I think, a top ten back in the NFL. Um, and so, you know, it's just – it's it's the draft season is something else. And guys like DK Metcalf certainly make it uh, a frustrating – discussion at times because uh you know there's it's either you have to love them or you hate them and there's no in between
0: yeah and i think that and we're probably guilty of it on this end too but you kind of get caught up sometimes in talking about these guys like like what they are as they enter the draft in april after they're done with college is what the, is like a finality like that's what they're always right. going to be and and a lot of the trick with doing this and especially with the type of stuff you're doing is projecting what, you know, what are they going to be in three or four years? And it's hard to be patient, especially when a guy's a first or second round pick. It's hard to be patient thinking about like, how are they going to develop? Where are they going to get better? Uh, maybe or where are they going to get worse? But there's a lot of projection to this. It's not just, well, here's what they are entering the draft. This is what they're always going to be. And I think a lot of times the discussion kind of gets, gets stuck there. You know, this right. is, the, this is the type of prospect he was in college. And that's sort of how we always think. Of these players when yeah to have the baseline of where DK Metcalf is I mean he's on pace for 900 yards and 10 touchdowns like if that's your rookie season baseline of a guy that you expect will probably get better as a route runner just by being in the NFL and being with these coaches and and playing with Russell Wilson like maybe the ceiling is a lot higher than that Um, but yeah it's hard to it's hard to sort of step back and take a full view of that because we don't we also don't know, you know, like I said, we're just guessing these projections are going to be and try to pick out those traits that might translate, but it doesn't always work out. So it is, it's always tempting to kind of react in the moment. But, uh, he, yeah, he, like you said, he seems like he's been kind of a lightning rod on both sides of it, uh, all year and kind of interesting to watch. And like that discussion of yours on, over the weekend, uh, I didn't jump in, but was following it hmm. and, and reading it. So it was kind, of, kind of caught my attention. So I wanted to bring it up here. Um, and, that, well, and the
1: biggest variable, yeah. uh, real quick, uh, is and when we're talking about all these college players, the biggest variable that we just don't know, that we can't account for, is where they're going to end up. Sure. You know, if DK Metcalf goes to a different team, you know, it's just a different discussion. And if, uh, you know, if Lamar Jackson doesn't go to the Ravens, who have embraced, his style of play, what he does best and, you know, catered the play calling around him. Who knows how we're talking about Lamar Jackson uh, right now. So, and that's why, you know, I'll have, you know, fantasy football, um, you know, podcasts want me to come on or, you know, in in, at this point and talk about guys coming up. And I mean, I can talk about, uh, you know, DeAndre Swift and these, these guys, Zach Moss. And, but until we know where they end up, it's hard to give you an accurate uh, you know, because they might just not go to an offense that we think fits exactly what they do or the situation. And so uh, where they end up, the, that's that that's a variable that you know, us on the outside, we can't really uh, account for. You know, we can say they're best in this type of system or this and that, but that that's a variable that can tremendously skew what we thought the player could be and what he ends up being based on the coaching he receives, the supporting cast, and just the overall situation that he ends up in uh, when he's eventually drafted.
0: Yeah, no question. So we'll uh, we'll do our best as we have every week here. Uh, and again, if you want to get in uh, on the Thursday show, make sure you're subscribing at theathletic.com. You can get Dane. Uh, at DP Brugler if you've got any guys you want to ask him about we can certainly talk about him on the show Uh, I'm at Chris Burke NFL uh, and our producer behind the scenes Kent Garrison so thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you in a couple days